What is going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your other host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Quick thank you to all the awesome people that still leave us nice reviews, even though we don't do shoutouts on the show anymore. We still read them, and they always make our days when you guys say sweet stuff, so just know how much we appreciate you. Um, reviewing the show really helps us get more notice and helps more people find the show, so a huge thanks to you guys and just everyone who listens and shares the show in general. We love you all. Yes, big thanks to you guys who left us reviews. Also, for our patrons of Going West, we just released a bonus episode for you guys on the Indiana Dunes mystery, and that one actually correlates with our last week's episode on Helen Brock. So if you listen to the Helen Brock episode, you're going to want to listen to this one. If you want to subscribe, head over to patreon.com slash Podcast. Yeah, that one is a full-length ad-free bonus episode. It's available along with over 35 other episodes total. Full-length episodes. So if you guys want that, check it out. And regarding today's case, it's very bizarre Uh, may seem a bit different than cases we usually cover, but it just has such a strange story and it features indigenous victims and we haven't yet covered a case regarding an indigenous person and felt it was about time. And this story doesn't seem to be too well known at all, so here it is. All right, guys, this is episode 110 of Going West, so let's get into it. We've got a very different kind of sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show, a podcast you should definitely check out since you're a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people. The Jordan Harbinger Show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests, and there are a ton of episodes that you're going to find interesting. Jordan is super charismatic and well-voiced, so I loved listening to his recent episode with Susan Casey called Unraveling Mysteries in the Ocean's Darkest Depths. It was so creepy and interesting, and he goes across every category with other episodes like Romance Twister, My Mister Once Dated My Sister, or his monthly Skeptical Sunday episodes about controversial topics from crystal healing to cannabis to Ouija boards. There is something for everyone. We really enjoy this show, and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. In late 1992, a couple was driving after a night of partying when they got into a terrible car wreck. When their bodies weren't found at the crash, this small South Dakota town 
wondered if they had gone off on their own or if someone had abducted them. Three months later, a bizarre discovery was made and it brought more questions than answers to the case. This is the story of Arnold Archambault and Ruby Bruyere. Ruby Ann Bruyere was born on January 11, 1974 in Wagner, South Dakota to parents Myrtle and Quentin Bruyere. She grew up in the nearby small town of Lake Andes, South Dakota, which has a population of about 1,000 people, along with her five brothers and two sisters, so massive family here. And Lake Andes is located within the Yankton Reservation, which is home of the Yankton Sioux Tribe of the Dakota Tribe. Ruby grew up being all around incredibly loving and always made people laugh. She was respectful to her loving parents and always seemed to have a smile on her face. She attended school in her town of Lake Andes and at Andes Central School, which is where she met fellow teen Arnold Archambault, who was a year older than her. Arnold Archambault was born in 1972 in Wagner, South Dakota, just like Ruby was, to parents Raymond and Deborah Archambault, along with his sisters Tiffany and Valerie. He was mostly raised by his mother, who died when he was just 13 years old, and from then on, he was raised by his loving aunt, Karen Tuttle, who was um, his mother's sister. In high school, Ruby and Arnold began dating, and by all accounts, were a compatible and happy couple. And while Ruby was finishing up her high school career, she became pregnant with their first child, a daughter named Erica, who was born in the spring of 1991 while Ruby was 17 years old. Since the couple was still very young, Arnold's Aunt Karen let them, along with baby Erica, live with her in the town of Wagner, South Dakota, which again is where both Ruby and Arnold were born and raised. At this time, Arnold was working at the Fort Randall Casino in Lake Andes, South Dakota, which was a very big employer for this area, and some of their other family members actually worked there too. On the evening of Friday, December 11th, 1992, Arnold and Ruby wanted to go out for the night and hang out with some friends, so they had Ruby's uncle watch baby Erica while they went out with Ruby's 17-year-old cousin, Tracy Dion, and they just kind of hopped around to different parties and bars. Hours later at 6 a.m., the three of them returned to Tracy's house where her father said that it probably wasn't a good idea for Arnold and Ruby to take Erica home yet, since they had been drinking. So he advised that they come back for her later when they had sobered up. But they probably shouldn't have been driving either, because just minutes later, something awful happened. Arnold was driving with Ruby and Tracy in the car as they approached an intersection very close to the Yankin Reservation. It being a small town with no one around, Arnold began to speed up as he reached the stop sign while, according to Tracy, saying that he didn't see anyone coming. Seconds later, the car spun out of control and ended up in a ditch by the road, and the car was upside down. Tracy remembers being in the car while it was upside down, and she remembers Ruby crying and saying, Oh my God, oh my God, and hitting the inside of the car. But when Tracy looked around, she didn't see Arnold. So she didn't really know if Arnold was somehow thrown out of the car or if he had gotten out before she had come to. Moments later, 
the passenger door opened and Ruby tried to squeeze her way out. She was able to make it out despite the car being badly crushed. As soon as Ruby exited the vehicle, Tracy didn't hear another sound, and suddenly, she was left all alone. And Tracy just didn't understand why Ruby didn't help her out of the car and why she didn't hear anything after Ruby got out. She has since explained that Ruby wasn't the kind of person to just leave in a situation like this without helping, especially since they were very close cousins. It was so strange to Tracy that Ruby seemingly left without helping her out. But where did she go? The next time Tracy heard a car was when the police and paramedics arrived minutes later and pulled her from the still upside down vehicle. When she got out and looked around, Arnold and Ruby were nowhere to be found. How did they get away? Why did they leave? And where did they go? None of these questions could be answered by Tracy at all. Especially since it was absolutely freezing out that night. We read that it was in the single digits, so everything was frozen, and this is not the kind of weather that you want to take a long walk in. It was December in South Dakota, after all, so the roads were incredibly icy, hence Arnold's car spinning out. And under Arnold's car was actually a thick layer of ice, so the car had landed on hard, solid ice. As police searched the area, they didn't see any sign of Arnold or Ruby. But according to interviews with the deputy, they didn't think that this was too strange, because Tracy had told police that they had all been drinking throughout the night. So police were thinking that he was probably just trying to avoid getting a DWI, also known as driving while intoxicated, and that he and Ruby would soon turn up. And despite saying that you wouldn't want to walk in this temperature, the crash site wasn't far from civilization at all. The area was mostly farmland and not a ton of houses, but just up the road was town, so they absolutely could have walked into town. But police didn't see them while driving in, so they did walk around the general area and make sure none of the frozen water spots had been broken to ensure that neither one of them were walking on a small body of water and maybe possibly fallen through. And they didn't find any broken ice, so they felt confident that that wasn't what happened, because there was no evidence of that. And again, they truly felt that Arnold and Ruby would show up very soon. But days passed and there was still no sign of either of them. Then days turn into weeks. The holidays approached and Arnold and Ruby didn't come home nor make any contact with any of their loved ones. Arnold was typically a responsible guy, so his parents and family were incredibly confused and worried as to why he didn't contact them at all, saying that he was okay. They were all very close, and this is apparently not something that he would have done if he could help it. His Aunt Karen said, quote, I knew he wouldn't hide. He would have come home to us or called us and told us, I'm over here, don't worry about me. But we never heard anything from him. And this was also incredibly strange for Ruby not to contact her parents because she always came to them if she messed up and would know her parents would be worried sick about her. So for neither of them to reach out just did not make sense. And they had an infant daughter who they loved dearly. And Ruby was breastfeeding Erica at the time, so police speculated how strange this was because Ruby was a very caring mother and she wouldn't abandon her child like that. Of course, again, police wondered if Ruby and Arnold had run off so they wouldn't get in trouble for having alcohol in their system while driving. Well, while Arnold was driving but neither of them had any kind of criminal background and no one believed that they would have purposefully disappeared for this reason alone, especially since police publicly stated 
that there were not warrants out for their arrests after the crash. So it was like public knowledge that they weren't going to be in trouble. And they did that on purpose so that they could hopefully then come home safely. Yeah, I don't even think that this comes into play here because if you had just gotten into this, you know, crazy car crash, you're not going to go on the run because you're afraid of getting a DUI. Like, that's just so outlandish. Yeah, and never come back. A $1,000 reward was quickly put together by the Archambeau and Bruyere families for the missing couple and everyone locally was looking for them. Although this was a very small area and definitely an everyone-knows-everyone type of area, the public was told to look for Arnold, who was a 20-year-old, 5'10 man who weighed 220 pounds and had brown hair and brown eyes. And Ruby was described as being 5'6, 190 pounds, with dark hair and brown eyes, glasses, and a tattoo on her right ankle that said love. It didn't appear that anyone other than Tracy had information that could help find them, so people were just dumbfounded at where they went and what had happened to them. Almost three months to the day later, on Wednesday, March 10th, 1993, a motorist who was driving by the accident site, which of course had since been cleaned up, saw what looked like a body off the side of the road. This passerby quickly got a hold of police and explained the situation, and they arrived at the scene almost immediately. 75 feet from where the accident occurred was the body of Ruby Breyer lying in the ditch. They didn't know if it was her right away because her body was in a very advanced state of decomposition and was unrecognizable. But they were able to identify the body having the same tattoo that Ruby had, the love written on her ankle. Her eyeglasses and her shoes were missing from the scene, but it was confirmed that she was wearing the same clothes that she was wearing the night she went missing. By this time, the weather was kind of starting to warm up a bit. Not too much. We're talking like 50 or so degrees Fahrenheit tops. But it was enough for all the winter ice to have already melted. So the ditch near where Arnold's car had flipped was now a big pool of water. Police wondered if Arnold's body was in the area, so they searched the entire general region as they began pumping the water out of that ditch. And the very next day, 15 feet away from where Ruby's body was found, they found Arnold's body submerged in water. The weird thing here was that he was at a completely different stage of decomposition than Ruby was. His skin color was normal, and the deputy explained that he wasn't frozen to the ground, and neither was his clothes. He was recognizable, but as far as his clothes went, they couldn't be confirmed to be the same clothes that he was wearing the night that he had last been seen, because Tracy couldn't remember since it was months later. Both the Archambeau and Bruyere families were informed of the gruesome discoveries, and both of their bodies were sent to the lab for formal autopsies since their cause of deaths weren't obvious. But when the coroner had a look at their bodies, it only brought more questions to the case. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. 
Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medications that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volix XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment, no maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volix XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. We know you guys love a good mystery, especially one with twists and turns. Am I right? This is why you guys are going to love June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker while she tries to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder in the roaring 1920s. In this hidden object mystery game, put your detective skills to the test. While you're on this quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret, you can customize your very own luxurious estate island and let your imagination run wild. Daphne and I actually love to play this game together because you can chat with and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. It is truly so much fun. You guys are going to love it. So what do you think? Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face. But now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? 
It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Unfortunately, due to the conditions the bodies were in and the environment they were found in, the coroner couldn't pinpoint either of their time of deaths. And there's something I want to bring up that we've never talked about on this show, and it's the difference between a coroner and a medical examiner. So a coroner is a person elected by the jurisdiction for typically a two to four year term, and they determine cause of death, body identification, notifying next of kin, arranging the death certificate, etc., but a coroner does not require any medical training or qualifications to do their job, whereas a medical examiner must complete forensic pathology training and receive a board certification to perform autopsies and determine cause of death. And they stay in this position throughout the length of their career instead of having terms like a coroner does. And if you're a coroner out there, I'm in no way trying to downplay your career at all. I just think it's important to point out the difference since medical examiners oftentimes are you know, technically more qualified to do the job. And we absolutely need coroners as well because oftentimes when we're talking about a small town with little crime, it's unnecessary to appoint a medical examiner. And that's the situation here as well. Super small town, not a ton of violent crime or murder. So there was just a coroner to determine the cause of death here. And they came to the conclusion that Arnold and Ruby died from exposure. Oftentimes in cases like this, it seems that law enforcement goes along with what the coroner or medical examiner says and just tries to close the case. But that's not what happened here. Deputy Youngstrom felt this ruling was incorrect, and he thoroughly believed that foul play was involved. To quote him in his Unsolved Mysteries interview, he stated, Death by exposure is like they froze to death. I cannot actually buy that. They may have froze to death, but they didn't freeze to death in that ditch. It's impossible that they could have been there the entire three months. I myself personally walked that ditch several times during that period. I've gotten written affidavits from people that also watched, walked it, people that have nothing to do with the case. They couldn't have been there. They couldn't have been missed. As we stated before, everything was frozen at the time that the crash happened, so if their bodies were there... They wouldn't have been in water, but on top of thick, solid ice. There's also a big question mark surrounding Arnold's car getting into that ditch. Because yes, the roads were icy, but how his car would have flipped and ended up in a ditch without hitting another car or anything else seems like a mystery to police. But after reviewing the car's exterior, it didn't appear to have hit another vehicle, and they feel pretty sure about that. But then came some more puzzling questions. As we always say on the show, you can check out photos of this case on our socials, and we were able to find a photo of Arnold's car as well as photos of Arnold, Ruby, and Tracy, so you should go check them out. But there are no photos from the site of the accident. There have been recreations done since, again, this was aired briefly on Unsolved Mysteries back in the early 90s, but there aren't any photos from the real accident. 
In a newspaper article from the Argus Leader paper of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Arnold's cousin Mike Archambeau asked at a news conference after the bodies were found, quote, How come nobody took pictures of the wreck? Deputy Bill Youngstrom said that he took photographs that day at the scene, but they didn't turn out. He was quoted saying, Through whatever error, every negative was blank. And Mike Archambeau's response to this was, quote, It sounds like you're trying to cover your butt. It sounds like you didn't investigate in the first place. And this could very well be true because if the police arrived and thought it was just a drunk driving accident and that Arnold and Ruby would just show up sooner or later, maybe they wouldn't have cared enough to really look into this. But from my research, it did seem like the deputy was trying to figure it all out and cared about this case. But I definitely understand the family's frustrations when there's this many questions and so little to go off of. After the discovery of the bodies were made, a full investigation of the scene was done, and officers found a tuft of hair in the same ditch next to the bodies. Officials believe this hair to be Ruby's based on a side-by-side comparison, but no testing was done later when the technology became available, so it's kind of unclear if this did indeed belong to Ruby or not. Another odd discovery was the keys that were found with Arnold's body. There was one car key along with a key that appeared to go to a house, but the strange thing is that the car key did not match with his vehicle and the house key did not match with his house. Deputy Youngstrom tested the keys on numerous sources determined to find a match, but he never did. And he even kept these keys so he could keep trying them as time went on, but nothing has been a match. Shortly after the bodies were found, six people came forward saying that they saw Ruby and Arnold after the crash. One person came forward saying that they saw Ruby and Arnold get into a car after the accident and the car headed east. And another said that she saw Arnold accompanied by three other people on New Year's Eve, so about three weeks after the crash. And this woman even took a polygraph test and passed. Another person reported seeing Ruby in a neighboring town at the end of January. So this is really difficult because her body was in advanced decomposition. But since we don't know what her time of death was, it makes it really hard to determine if these sightings could even be real or not. I would assume that if her body was in decomposition, or at least that far into decomposition, that there's probably no way she would have been seen in January. I agree, and also I'm thinking about this woman who says that she saw Arnold on New Year's Eve and she passed a polygraph test. Like, I don't necessarily think she was lying, but I definitely think she was mistaken. Yeah, that definitely can happen. Well, the reason I personally believe this is because if Arnold was with three other people in a public place, she said she was at a party, then why didn't those people come forward and why didn't anyone else? Like, this is a small town. People would know who he was and that he was missing. So how is she the only person to come forward from this party? And it also doesn't make sense for Arnold and Ruby to have been hiding in plain sight and then somehow both end up dead in the very same spot of the crash. And why didn't this woman approach Arnold and say, oh my God, you're not missing. You know, like for her to come forward months after the fact, it's just, what? Yeah, it doesn't make sense for her to say this Like, later on, why didn't you say it at the time that you saw Arnold, who you knew had been in a crash and was missing? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. So, I know we've talked about missing person cases before, 
and people will come forward saying that they saw them and it was determined that at the time later it was determined that the time this person said to have seen them they were actually dead so it's not weird that there are sightings but I just don't believe them yeah I I don't believe them in this case and maybe in some cases they're more credible like I remember we talked about um, the sightings of Bryceless Pisa which there were a lot of them and none of them could be corroborated to me it's very hard in situations like this because you want to believe that somebody is still alive and you want to believe that they're still out there but it's very very hard to determine whether or not it's true And what's the explanation for them going missing, but not contacting their family at all, yet they're still in the area, and then they both die? And I would would assume that a lot of people would probably bring up the amnesia theory, which is like, oh, I hit my head after this crash and, you know, wasn't aware of who I was and was just walking around. But here's the issue with that for me. If that was the case, how did their bodies end up back at the crash site that to me just doesn't wouldn't make any sense and i totally hear you on the whole amnesia thing or the days after a crash but then why was he at a new year's eve party with people like where what where does that come in yeah yeah i i this just doesn't sound credible to me and ruby's father thoroughly believes that they died somewhere else and someone put their bodies in the same ditch as where they crashed to make it look like they had died there Since there was no obvious cause of death, it's believed by many that exposure was the default ruling, if you will, and many don't feel as though the exposure ruling should be taken very seriously. Because, if you think about it, them being abducted and dying from exposure somewhere else and then being put back in that area just seems like a bit of a stretch. So if we feel that this was foul play, which we personally do, we have to think of other ways that they could have been killed that would have been more inconspicuous. Because if the likely killer wanted to hold them hostage and then kill them, but make it look like they had died in the accident, he would have wanted to kill them in a way that wouldn't look like they were murdered, right? Exactly. So, and that's what makes it so hard. At this point, it's pure speculation because their cause of death is so questionable, which I hate. (laughs) Like, there's so many questions. That's the unfortunate thing about, you know, decomposition is that you, you lose a lot of evidence through that, and, and it's very, very hard to determine how a person died once that decomposition sets in, especially, you know, the further along it goes. Right, and I want to go back really quick to when you were just talking about amnesia or being in a daze after a crash. So I was listening to this true story on a podcast a couple weeks ago about this girl who had gotten into a car accident, and a car pulled up, and it was a man who was trying to usher this girl into his car. And since she was dazed from the accident, she kind of just went with him and did what he said. But as she got into his car, her dad, who was also in the accident, came running over, freaking out that this guy was trying to take his daughter and stop the whole thing from happening because pretty much this guy was trying to abduct her. So I wonder if a car pulled up and ushered Arnold and Ruby inside and they drove off without Tracy, maybe against Ruby's wishes, And then something happened to them with this person. Like, I know Tracy said she didn't hear any cars or noises, but since she had been in an accident too, I wonder if her senses were blurred at all. And obviously this is just a theory, and we like to talk about theories on this show, but it would make sense if somebody had pulled up and maybe tried to help Arnold and Ruby, but their intentions were not good. I don't really know. I don't know. I just can't figure it out. I I just really think that someone with ill intentions picked them up. I mean, they were wearing the same freaking clothes. Well, at least Ruby was. 
from the night they went missing. Like, I just don't buy that they were out hiding in plain sight in the same clothes and not checking in with their family, and then they just happened to die. And also, where were Ruby's glasses and shoes, and why did Arnold have keys on him that seemingly didn't belong to him? Yeah, there was... The the keys is a very strange thing in this case, because it's just so weird. Having keys that don't belong to your house or your car just seems like a very weird and strange thing, right? Yeah, where where did they come from, and where are your... Your actual keys and belongings. And I'm assuming that police would have checked with Ruby and Arnold's family and said, hey, are maybe these keys your guys's or something? Oh, he definitely did. The deputy took this part really seriously. He tried those keys on every door and car he came across. With how busy our schedules are, Heath and I are constantly ordering food and groceries from DoorDash. It just saves us a ton of time when we can't run to the store for ingredients or don't feel like cooking and want delicious takeout instead. But delivery fees can definitely add up, and this is why we have DashPass by DoorDash. DashPass is an exclusive membership from DoorDash that gets you unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, as well as member-only deals and discounts. Which is why DashPass is the most affordable way to get anything and everything you need delivered right to your door, and fast for just $9.99 a month. Which means DoorDash quickly pays for itself in just two orders on average. So whether you order every day or just a couple of times a month, you'll save with DashPass. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com prenatal. During the initial investigation, two men were being considered persons of interest. They had both been seen nearby the crash site just before the bodies were recovered driving a dark Chevy Blazer. That's all the information that police released at the time, and they were never able to find or identify the men. According to some online forums, there is a local rumor that Arnold and Ruby were abducted from the crash site and held captive in a cabin north of Lake Andes. They were killed at the house and then brought back to the crash site, like we said, in an attempt to cover up the crime. They even have the name of this man, but it's unknown if police have ever seriously looked into him, although he is known to have a lengthy criminal record. His name is Harold Lewis Young, and he's since moved out of the area and now resides in Texas. I thought that was a really interesting comment, and I always really like to know what the locals think of a case because obviously they know people that we don't know all the way here on the West Coast, you know. So hearing someone say that that's what people there think happened is really interesting to me. Yeah, I'm actually very interested in this as well because I want to know why locals think this. And obviously we know that this guy's a criminal and he has a criminal background, but that doesn't automatically make you a killer. 
So, I wonder if there's some other details that we just don't know about this guy that would make locals believe that he would be capable of killing Ruby and Arnold. It must just been a thing of, I heard this, and this person knows him, and he told somebody. I'm assuming it's something like that, like kind of like probably a game of telephone. Yeah. And regarding Erica, the daughter, I'm sure some of you are wondering what ended up happening to her. I don't know who she was raised by, but I know that she did and still does have the same last name as Ruby. And they had a a huge family. So I know she didn't go into foster care. And I know that she was cared for by Ruby's grandparents for a good deal of the time. um, But she was raised by the family. This case was closed by the FBI in 1999. So seven years after the bodies were found due to lack of evidence that a crime took place. If you have any information about the mysterious deaths of Arnold Archambault and Ruby Bruyere, please contact the Yankton Sioux Tribal Police at 605-487-7500. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And of course, like I always say, next week we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. I really think that this case is very strange. There's a lot of details that make me question everything, really. And one of those things that I have considered is whether or not police actually did a thorough search. But to me, talking about the fact that there was other people helping search for Arnold and Ruby makes me feel like they did indeed do a you know, credible search for Arnold and Ruby, but nothing was found. Well, and I really do agree with the deputy that those bodies were not there the whole time. I just don't believe that. I think they had to have left or been taken away from the scene, or maybe they left because they had been drinking and they were worried and then something happened to them. Maybe they had to hide with someone and then something happened while they were hiding with that person. Like there's so many possibilities, but I definitely think that they were murdered or that some form of foul play is involved. I really think so. We'd love to hear what you guys think about this case. We do have a discussion group on Facebook. It's just Going West Discussion Group. Please comment, comment on our social medias. We want to know what you think of this case. Absolutely. I would love to hear you guys' theories. And also, don't forget about that episode on the Indiana Dunes mystery that's connected to last week's episode on Helen Brock. If you guys listen to that episode, you'll definitely want to check out that Patreon episode on the Indiana Dunes mystery. Head over to patreon.com slash podcast. Yes, and thank you so much to all of our patrons who have joined in the last week. Thank you so much to Anita, Almuth, Amy, Danielle, Jasmine, Aaron, Jenny, Marge, and Cassie. Big thanks going out to Bridget, Allison, Yadira, Mona, Missy, Amy, Casey, and Catherine. And thank you so much going to Lynn, Faith, Victoria, Katie, Brian, Holly, Zach, Kim, Serena, and Ashley. Thank you to Yagmer, Diane, Melinda, Lauren, Brandy, Drew, Kristen, Stacy, Ron, and Victoria. And last but not least, thank you so much to Sharon, Elizabeth, Mallory, Kiki, Bridget, Amy, Jennifer, Tracy, Ariana, Sylvia, Lisa, and Nicole. We love you guys so much. It means the world when you join our Patreon. It's what keeps Going West going. So go check it out. We got a ton of bonus episodes. All right, guys. So for everybody out there in the world, cheerio and don't be a stranger.